Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Music Is Live podcast. This is your host, Lou Mabs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musicislivepodcast.com. I am very happy to say that my guest tonight is someone that I had the pleasure of knowing for over 20 years when I was a college radio DJ. This gentleman here serviced all college radio stations with, in my opinion, the best selection of hard rock and metal for all those college radio DJs to play that wasn't Limp Biscuit or any other crap like that. <laughs> he is celebrating 30 years of his company disrupting mainstream media and still bringing forward the best in hard rock and metal. The name of his company is skateboard marketing 30 freaking years. And I'm very yeah, happy to have on the show tonight, Mr. Munzee Ritchie Munzee. Wait for it. Lou, what's up, bro? Thanks for having me on, dude. Hey, no problem. Thank you for being on. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's great to see you. As I've mentioned, I've known Munzee over 20 years and he has not aged. <laughs> oh, like yeah, my got, yeah, my hair got a little more gray, but like I think I think I'm going to go to the drugstore one of these days and buy some stuff in a bottle the way chicks do and just make it change colors, you know, <laughs> that may be kind of cool, you know, but it ain't that bad yet. I figure it's going to take another five years. It'll be gray. And then at that point, then I got to make it change colors, you know. I hear you. I hear you. But we're not here to talk fashion tips. We're here to talk about you and 30 years of skateboard marketing and your time in the music industry, everything that you've experienced. I've seen you at shows here and there. Like I remember one of the last times I saw you was at the Mayhem Festival at Jones Beach, the Slayer King Diamond Tour. And I'm watching Whitechapel and all of a sudden you walk right past me. I'm like, holy shit, it's Munzee. I recently had a band on my show, Images of Eden, and they name dropped you. And I'm like, oh, Oh my god you guys know munzee they're like yeah he's the guy who's been promoting our music to the radio stations five minutes of the conversation was based on you our whole label's great everybody that works with us so tim and mark at the label and john and munzee that do radio i you know love munzee he's great isn't he i owe that man for my hearing loss because he got me guest passes for my first motorhead concert i'll always thank you for that munzee uh, yeah <laughs> We met Muncie and John in Brooklyn. I tell you what, within about 15 minutes, I mean, Muncie's just got me crying on the floor, laughing so hard. I took, I couldn't even breathe. Such a good guy. Uh, definitely yep. one of the hardest working 
marketing specialists. 30 years of skateboard marketing. Munzee, congratulations. Keep up the great work. Images is a great band, dude. I love those guys. Great guys, great band, great musicians. And, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk about them too later on. But first, let's talk about you. Munzee Ritchie of Long Island, New York, originally, correct? Well, actually, I was from Queens, but then I kind of, I became an implant in Long Island. Mm -hmm. But you know, it doesn't really matter. A strong island, it's the same thing, you know? <laughs> what part of Queens, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, South Ozone Park. Ah, okay. Astoria, not that far. For you, what was it that brought you your love of music? And what was the moment that made you decide that you wanted to be a part of it? I was probably about 12, 13, 14. I was rummaging through all my sister's records and came across a couple of Black Sabbath albums on listening to Sabotage and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And I'm like, wow, what is this? This is freaking awesome. From that point, that was pretty much it. Then I started moving on from there when discovering other stuff that was out there. As I was finishing up high school, along came Motorhead. And then after Motorhead, it was Diamond Head. And then after Diamond Head, it was like, obviously, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. But I kind of discovered Priest a little bit before that. But dude, after listening to all of those records, you're like, wow. What is this? This is awesome. And it kind of just put the hook in me. And from that point, as I was a kid and I started watching stuff, you know, we didn't have MTV. We didn't have an internet or anything back then. You know, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, that was nothing. All you had was U68. Okay, now look at the screen and listen to the music. We're the latest addition to the New York skyline. U68 Stereo Music Television. Shine on, New York. Hi, I'm Roger Daltrey here at U68. Hello, Brian Johnson here from ESADC. Reminding you to tune in to the Rock and Power Hour every night here on U68 in stereo. Hi, this is Klaus Meiner. And I'm Rebel of the Scorpions. You're watching the Power Hour on U68. U68. Hi, this is Rick from Cheap Trick. And I want you to watch on U68, our new video tonight. It's you, 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 68. I kind of discovered U68. I'm like, wow, that is freaking awesome. I loved U68, the power hour. Yeah, dude. That's you how I first discovered music videos from ACDC, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Dokken. The first video I ever saw of ACDC, I was talking about this with my co-host Greg on Another podcast I do, The Mothership Show, Ratsai Review, I, I told them that the first video I ever saw of ACDC's was Flick of the Switch. Meanwhile, everyone else's first break into them was Highway to Hell or You Shook Me All Night Long. Uh-uh, it was a deep cut for me, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, then once you saw the video, you know, you kind of get the whole visual of something, and you're like, that is freaking cool. And then, you know, along comes, you know, all right, I'm 15, 16 years old. Drinking age was 18. So, of course, everybody had fake ID. You know, the doorman knew we were 16 years old, but they didn't care. You know, drinking age was 18, as long as you had ID. And we started going to shows. And that's when we started seeing, like, Twisted Sister in the club days and, like, all the cool bar bands that were playing out at the time, plus all the touring bands, you know. And then along came Lemoore's. In beat, take a walk down 62nd Street, where heavy metal lives. Welcome to Lamore. Ah! 
The More The Rock. Capital of Brooklyn brings you the most explosive live entertainment every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. This is where heavy metal comes alive. You haven't experienced heavy metal until you have experienced The More. And uh, that was it. We kind of had a home to go to every weekend because it was almost guaranteed there was going to be a good show there, you know? Yeah, I remember I actually got to go to Lemoore's the first time. Armored Saint, the Revelation album. Yeah, you were at WSJU at St. John. Yes, I was. He remembers. <laughs> when were you there? 97? No, Rich Martinez made me the Loud Rock director, music director, spring semester 99. I stayed until when I graduated in May of 2002. Then I wow. brought on Jerry. Jerry was the guy who took over for me. And I know you were working with Motorhead a lot, which we'll touch <laughs> base on later. But this is when they played The World, WWE The World on Times Square. And oh, yeah, I remember that show. And you had a great show. And you hooked us up with two guest passes. And I got to introduce him to everybody. And then all of a sudden, you introduced me. You introduced me to the lead singer of Tigers of Pantang. <laughs> I remember this. I was there for those three years. You were not only servicing to the radio stations, a lot of the up and coming acts at the time, especially ones on independent label, but you were also still servicing quality products from a lot of the bands that you mentioned, such as Motorhead. And I know you definitely serviced Spitfire Records, especially with the Dio albums, yeah, uh, Magica we, uh, and Killing the Dragon. Yeah, we did most of the Spitfire stuff, the Black Label Society, all the Twisted Sister reissues, Ronnie James Dio. You know, we handled Dio since around 93 or so. So around, around the time of Strange Highways. Yeah, so we like went all the way up to like, you know, until Ronnie passed in 2010. And if you can actually imagine a lot of those records that were out on Warner, you know, they were out of print. If you can imagine it, I was like, no, that can't be. I mean, it's like it's still a very big, relevant title, but some of them were actually out of print. And BMG is reissuing everything with bonus tracks and live tracks and all kinds of cool stuff. So, you know, we did Donington and, you know, we did Evil of Divine and like, you know, live in New York City. And we did all of those. So there is going to be some more titles coming, but we just don't know when. But, you know, the beauty of this is, is that BMG has become like the big catalog company on the metal side. They're getting all these old classic records that, you know, are either out of print or haven't seen the light of day in a while, or they're out there and nobody's doing anything with it and doing these huge box sets with like four vinyl, four discs, four vinyl pieces of vinyl posters and like some really cool stuff. Yeah, Bertelsmann Music Group, BMG, their product is always quality. I can never say anything bad about them, especially in terms of majors. And you've experienced this where a lot of times what labels will do as a cash grab, they'll release greatest hits without giving you any incentive to wanting to buy a new version of physical product. Then you have BMG, they'll pack on that extra stuff, which I think is a great bargain for what people are willing to pay for it. You know, I love what they do. And I'm really happy that they've definitely brought Ronnie's music back. Of course, there's always the one song or maybe it's the one album, but I definitely know it's the one song that I know Dio fans are crying for. Well, I guess you could say it's two. One is the star song and the other one is Hide in the Rainbow. I'm dying to have those songs in my collection on CD. I, I actually have the vinyl for stars when it first came out. 
I don't remember where I got it. I think maybe I got it from CMJ when I when I was like in college and I worked at CMJ. I don't remember, but it was a long time ago. I actually have the original pressing on vinyl. I may actually have the digital for it as well. You know, and it's kind of funny because they, you know, you know the band Holy Mother. They- yeah, I just interviewed Mike Torelli a while ago. I just released the interview that I did with him a couple of weeks ago. Mike Torelli and like a whole bunch of guys from out this way in Queens, everybody got together and redid a version of Stars. I'm in and it. <laughs> it's actually really good. You know, I mean, they sent it, he sent it to me and I was like, wow, this is, this is slamming, dude. It's good. Some of the guitar players that they had on that, Jake Miller from Completely Unchained, you had Damiano Christian from Sacred Oath. They killed it. They killed it on that record. And of course, my (laughs) friend Johnny Wildchild, who him and his lovely Christina Rock and Roll are in Florida now. Love you guys. Hope you're well. Uh, (laughs) I was actually asked to cut a solo for that. I didn't make it. (laughs) But I was happy to be asked by Mr. Ron Bora. He's such a great guy. You know, I love the fact that he did it to boost the morale of the frontline workers, which is great. You know, just to be a part of it was awesome. That is definitely one of my favorite Ronnie songs. So you mentioned, you know, the fact that growing up, because I didn't have cable until 92 either. So I didn't know what the hell MTV was, but I did have U68. And that was where I visually saw metal and hard rock for the first time ever. You worked at CMJ at one point, but I think you also worked at Mercury Records too. Yeah, I actually started in a band. I worked in a recording studio. So that's where I kind of started when I was young. I was 18, 19. I had a scholarship to engineering school and I went to Center for the Media Arts on a scholarship in Manhattan. And it was actually kind of cool because the campus was right across the street from FIT on 26th Street in Chelsea. So three nights a week, I was in school. And when I graduated, I went back to college and started doing radio. I started at WCWP and then transferred to CUNY. And then I was at WQCC. And it was funny because it led me to a job at Combat Records. And I worked at Combat for a year. And then Sony had bought out Combat. About a year and a half later, I went to uh, Polygram Records. You know, and I was there until the merger. And then I wound up at Mercury, which was still part of the Polygram family. When it was cool until obviously I started this company in 91. CMJ was great. I mean, it was a part time gig right after school and everything was like fresh and new. I would go in on the weekends and collate the magazine. And then during the week I would go in and there was nothing was automated. You had to put charts in the system manually. So I would go in after school and I would like work for a day, you know, at night, just inputting charts into the system because there was thousands to put in. And then I wrote a little bit of editorial and stuff. So it was definitely, it was a good learning experience because you kind of, you know, it kind of shaped me and molded me into, oh, this is how things are really done. Most people think, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. So you actually get into the gig and start doing it and realizing it's not so easy. It's very detailed. There's a lot of stuff you kind of have to know about it. The beauty of it is, is it just taught me a lot. And that's the, that's the good thing about starting young. You know, you start young, you learn young. And then as you get older, you know, you have a lot more experience where some other people, they don't really start getting their feet wet till they're 24, 25 years old. You know, when you're actually supposed to start doing it when you're 18 and 19 and you start college, you know. That really made a difference for me and kind of molded me and shaped me out a little bit. Because you got to face the fact, Lou, we were all rough around the edges back then. You know, all of us were rough around the edges and you just kind of had to refine everything and just hone your skill. 
That's really all it is. Yeah. Might have been my last generation, the last one to come up the hard way and build your way up, pay your dues, start young. I remember when I graduated high school, I immediately got a part-time job to help pay for, you know, books and things like that. But I said, you know, at the time I was going to St. John's University, I was a communications major. I didn't think about a career in journalism, such as like what I'm doing now or, you know, working in radio. At the time, I wanted to work in film. So my first internship, believe it or not, was Troma, the guys that made Toxic Avenger in class at Newcomb High. Oh, wow. And after a month of working there, I realized I'm not cut out to work in film. But when I made my way to St. John's University, and that's when I met Rich Martinez, I studied under his tutelage, teaching me everything that I needed to know, such as, you know, who to speak with, how to properly promote the music, properly promote the radio station. And uh, you you were the first person that he introduced me to. I'm glad that, including you, but I'm still friends to this day with Eric Cole from Concrete, who's no longer there. Um, Susanna Paradise from Concrete, who's no longer there. <laughs> I don't even know if Concrete's still there. But well, actually, you- Concrete is still around, and Bob still does his thing. But you know, they, they don't have the marketing services that they had. I, I mean, the company's kind of just shaped and formatted a little bit different. But yeah, they're around. But it's funny. I think Susanna lives down in Virginia. I think. Yeah, she does. And I talk to her from time to time. She's mad cool. I love Susanna. We we met. We were both interns at NG Artemis Records around the time that they signed Kitty. Wow. So that was my second internship in college. And I was working with Smitty, Tom Smith. And he's like, you know, how much do you want for like stipend? I'm like, nothing. I just want to learn. So it was there that I learned how to make press kits. In, in a way, I learned about the radio marketing aspect as well there. I mean, like, again, all I wanted to do was just pay my dues and work my way up and earn my keep. Some of the best memories and life lessons I definitely had working in the radio and marketing aspect. And, you know, getting to work with you because I, I know that NG Artemis was another label that you also service to many radio stations as well. Um, sad that they've disappeared and, you know, a lot of the stuff that they release is out of print. I was scrimmaging the earth to find one of the last copies of Pretend I'm Human by Orange 9 Millimeter. And wouldn't you know, they just re-released it. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, if you, if you would have asked me, I have the digital on my hard drive. I would have sent it to you. I believe in buying my music. I did the freaking illegal downloading thing. I feel like crap about it, so I'm making up for lost time. It's <laughs> beautiful, brother. Right on, man. I pre- you know, I totally respect that. Thank you. So going from Mercury, you started skateboard marketing in 1991. Here you are 30 years later. For you, what was the impetus to make you start your own company? And what were some of the risks and challenges that you faced doing this? Because, you know, today you have Gary V and people like that. And I respect the hell out of Gary V, you know, who's telling people, you know, go for entrepreneurship. And some people say, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. But none of them really do. But you did, especially in 91, where owning your own business was a risk that some people were afraid to take, but you did it. Here you are 30 years later. So what was that like for you to just bring it up that way? Well, you know, the new president came into the company and just started bringing his own people in. So, you know, Johnny Barbas and Sky Daniels had just said to me, listen, work indie. 
And I says, I hate indies. I even hated hiring radio promo indies. I'd rather just do it myself, you know? And they said, just don't worry about it. Work indie. And they hired me on the Almighty and LA Guns and a bunch of stuff that I had handled when I was at Polygram. Most of those bands were on the Polydor side. And with the merger, Mercury had one set of bands. And then Polydor was on the other side of the bands, uh, other side of the label with, with Ruart. So they were kind of really my, my first client per se. But, you know, six months later, it was a little tough. You know, I mean, obviously... The bills were getting paid and I was making it by the skin of my teeth for a couple of years. Eventually, it started getting better. You know, we started getting some more work. We started getting a few more labels. Our Red Light Records came in then CMC International and Spitfire and a few other labels. And we actually started getting some records. Now, mind you, if you look back at those days, there was four radio promo companies. Let me see if I can remember them. Hold on, hold on. There was Skateboard. Right. There was McGaffey. Yep. There was concrete. Yep. And finally, all the way from New Jersey was the music syndicate. Well, actually, it was AIM Marketing. Yeah, Yeskel. When he when he had passed away, the staff all got together and says, "Okay, let's keep this going." And they all got together. They changed the name, and that's where they came from. So it's pretty much almost the same company, just a different name. But then you know, obviously, uh, you know, McGathy stopped doing the metal thing. I mean, Bill and his company's still around, but they don't do the metal thing anymore and concrete doesn't do the radio thing anymore. So it's really just us is like all that's left. So I guess there are the persistence of time, you know, here we are, it's we're it, but on the same token, you know, it took about two years before we were kind of really established and it was still a lot of work. I mean, I was putting in 60, 70 hours a week between the office and going to shows early in the company. You know, I'd fly out to L.A. and I'd stay out in L.A. for two or three weeks at a pop because I didn't have a staff. So it was kind of easy to say, all right, I'm going to work from L.A. You know, I brought my laptop, I had my tracking sheets and my music calls. I got out there and bam, I went to work. All I needed was a phone, you know, and I just work out of somebody's office. So little by little, it grew. Now, you know, now it got to the point where, you know, we have two people on staff. You know, my office is a little cramped, but that's okay. You know, I don't mind being in tight quarters, but, you know, I, I, I was able to keep the overhead low. By keeping your overhead low is like really is something that's uh, essential if you kind of want to survive. But it's like have no overhead. There's still a lot of expenses, even though you do it that way. You know, you have server costs, you have payroll, you have a lot of stuff that you have to pay out. Looking back, it was a lot simpler back then compared to now where it's a lot more intricate. I love the Motorhead shirt, dude. I wore that in honor of you (laughs) because, you know, uh, the first concert that you ever said, I'll never forget this. First concert you ever gave me guest passes to as a thank you for playing the hell out of your music. And this is not payola, people. He didn't pay me. It was a gift. And it was Motorhead at Irving Plaza. And I call it my first ever hardcore show because it was Scarhead, Hatebreed, and the Dropkick Murphys as the opening act. So I'm wearing this in honor of you and in honor of the fallen Lemmy. We love Lem. So as a company grows, there's certain things you just kind of have to do. And then there's certain things that, well, we can do this and we don't have to do this and spend money here, but I can do that and work extra hours. And that's kind of what you have to do. 
Everybody got that? You know, and it's not only me, it's every small company. That's what you have to do. And if a company grows too big, you know, it's my experience. It just becomes unmanageable. You can't have hands-on with everything because you have to hire people to oversee the other people. And then that means you spend your life in meetings instead of being in the trenches doing your job. I'm the kind of guy I'd rather just pick up the phone and get on the phone and do it myself. Makes it a lot simpler, you know? Absolutely. I really have to uh, put you over when I say this. You are the hardest working man that I know in the music industry because I don't think you've ever taken a day off. Whenever I'm at a show in Manhattan, in Long Island, in Queens, I will see you there working your tail off, pushing your stuff. I can't say that about a lot of people. It's funny. You look at the name of my podcast. Well, you live it. <laughs> well, you're living it too. I mean, listen, you face the fact. Work ethic is a key part of, of, of any gig. If you're an artist, you have to have your work ethic. A painter will sleep when they want to sleep, eat when they want to eat, work when they want to work, but they have no money. Now you look at a recording artist, you know, they have to make records, they have to tour. And dude, going on tour, they think it's great. All you do is get off a bus and play a show and then eat and then get back on the bus, take a shower and go to the next show. And that's not the case. You know, in some cases, the band is actually working harder than we are, you know, and so is the crew. There's a lot of work that has to go in on, on the sidelines and behind the scenes to making everything happen. Your work ethic is kind of essential because if you don't have a good work ethic and then you just kind of come up with that attitude, ah, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to worry about it. So what if we don't have that? Dude, that's, that's like you're destined for failure then. You always have to have that mindset and attitude of, you know what, I'm going to do this the same way I did when I was 19 and I was hungry. And that's the attitude you have to have. I will top that. I will say, bust your ass so you get what you want. And then once you get what you want, you got to work harder to keep it. You know, exactly. I had the pleasure of interviewing Sasha Gerstner, one of the three guitar players in Halloween. That whole two week period from the release of the new album up until it charted in the United States, all the band members were doing nothing but radio interviews, podcasts, video podcasts. They were doing everything. I felt so bad for them because I'm sure that they had to answer the same freaking questions every time and they're probably like okay how am i going to keep myself from losing my mind at this point i didn't want to insult sasha that way so i made sure that whatever i asked him wasn't what everybody else was asking him and at the end of it he's like thanks for those questions they were really good <laughs> you know <laughs> you those guys are gentlemen you know they're all gentlemen you know they've been around a long time you know and you know they're seasoned pros so you know they know how to talk to people and how to treat people and, you know we'll work in the halloween record and it is Dude, a great it's, record. I love working with those guys. 2021, the stuff that's come out, especially in terms of hard rock and metal, is amazing. You got the Halloween self-titled. You got Images of Eden's Angel Born. You got Holy Mother's Faces Burn. There's a lot of good quality stuff that's coming out, especially after the last 16 months of shit that we were dealt with on a silver platter. It's nice to hear that there's good music coming out again and there's great shows coming out again. When I heard that Images of Eden was not just 
opening for Ingve Momsen, three shows in Texas. But now they're opening up the entire fall tour of them and John Five, which is amazing. I think that's a testament to not just their songwriting, but their work ethic. You know, they're just that damn good. I'm grateful for the fact that I had Images of Eden on the show. I'm grateful that I had Sasha from Halloween on the show. And I know these guys are working hard. It's not easy. It's a grind. Some people want to say, oh, well, you know, it's 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 not essential. You know, obviously we don't need live. And listen, this is what these people do for a living. All right. You got to give them that they and and glad that they have that again. Sorry, rant. I didn't mean to. That's totally cool, brother. I mean, I totally get it, you know, but I mean, it's your work ethic and your relationships is really at, at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. You know, I mean, listen, as a programmer, you know, when you were in college is one thing, but in commercial, you know, a lot of times, a lot of, a lot of PDs and MDs aren't really going to talk to people that they don't know. Some of them are cool and they'll take your call or return an email. Some people will never take your call or return an email. That's why it's so important to go to conventions. It's really important to do market visits and, you know, just get out there and like, just get up on everybody. Like, Hey, I'm here. Let's go have lunch. Like, you know, let, let me play you some of the new records that we got, some of the new stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's really important to do that. And I think in some aspects, a lot, a lot of the newbies that are coming in kind of lost sight of, you know, Hey, listen, I gotta, I gotta do a market visit. I need to get into, I need to get into Seattle. I need to get into Milwaukee. I, I gotta get to Madison. You know, I gotta get into, you know, JJO and wherever it is that they need to go just so that they can build that relationship so that the PD will return their emails, you know, and their phone calls. That's really what it's all about. You'll never make anything happen unless you can actually get somebody on the phone and communicate. I hear you. Trust me. I I know. I mean, I myself, I have a full-time job. And as you know, I'm a father of a three-year-old girl and happily married. So if you think about it, I have three jobs. I work full time. I'm a husband and a father and I do this, but it's things that I'm passionate about. And it's things that I constantly work for on a daily basis because I don't know why I have this crazy thought in the back of my head, but it's always if I give up on them even slightly or if I think I'm giving up on them slightly, like if I slip, like I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. So my whole thing is just keep pushing forward. I have to admit it's thanks to guys like you and other people in my life who were a positive influence who when things were down they just kept going and they didn't stop it's a testament to you 30 years later skateboard marketing is still on top the crazy thing is though when you broke the company open at that time there was a huge flux in the music industry grunge was all the rage bands like crowbar were signed with pavement and you mentioned cmc records I remember CMC Records. I remember when they first released brand new albums from UFO and Slaughter and Iron Maiden and Motorhead. You know, I think their first album was Sacrifice. And I remember that you were one of the companies that really promoted and it was good quality stuff. It sounded great. And it was on an indie label. What was that challenge like? in the 90s that must have been a crazy period well not really a lot of people like oh alternative got big and metal is now in the rear oh grunge is big metal is dead it's like no it never was dead yeah you know the grunge scene got really big and that's what mainstream radio kind of embraced and it really if it wasn't for college radio and it wasn't for all the metal shows at commercial radio you wouldn't have heard anything and a lot of tours wouldn't have sold out and you would have never really thought that grunge was really blowing up by going to a Motorhead show because the room was sold out. 
You had 2,000 fans in there all wearing Judas Priest, Motorhead, and Slayer t-shirts. Really, if you look at the big picture on it, it was there. It just wasn't very predominant in the mainstream. Then Alternative came in, and, and like everyone's like, oh, man, look, look, mainstream radio's playing Alternative. That's great. But, you know, a few years later, Alternative kind of didn't become the norm. And where did it go? It went back on the ground to college. And then College Radio, which always embraced Alternative, is still embracing it because that's kind of, you know, their bread and butter. That's what they do. And if you stop and you look at the metal scene now, you start, let's look at some of the newer bands, you know, look at like Unleash the Archers out of Canada or Mortillery, you know, or look at Warbringer or Evile, new bands playing new school thrash. And what is it? It's kind of based off of the old school thrash. What they're doing is something that Overkill, Testament, Exodus, and Slayer and Death Angel were doing 30 years ago. It's really the same thing. It's just a new band, new songs, new stuff, and a new style. And it's there and it's very predominant. You know, a 22-year-old fan will relate to a 22-year-old band playing old school thrash. Now, don't get me wrong. They'll, they'll stop and they'll look at Testament and Overkill and Exodus and say, They'll totally relate, even though the guys have been around forever. Those are the old pros. Those are the bands that put the format on the map. You know, and if you really want to go deeper back and dig into it, you know, let's look at Diamond Head. They were never a thrash band by any way, shape or form. They were a hard rock band, you know? Yeah, I mean, they had more in common with like what UFO was kind of doing than what Metallica ended up doing. Yeah. And still just as valid. Lightning to the Nation is probably still one of the best debut albums I ever heard. Oh, dude, I just listened to Canterbury the other day. I haven't listened to Canterbury in so long. I had to break it out. The Coffin Train. I mean, all those records are great. On the original point, Metallica comes along and covers Am I Evil? Everybody thinks it's a Metallica song, and they're dead wrong. It's, it's a Diamond Head song. Metallica covered three Diamond Head songs. A lot of people don't really give Diamond Head the credit that they really deserve for actually actually directly or indirectly kind of really being part of the whole thrash scene even though they were in a thrash band personally myself you know diamond head's one of my favorite bands i love those guys and i got to work with them if you go to the company's youtube page uh, one of the first posts on it at the bottom is diamond head at saint vitus in brooklyn doing am i evil you know i got all seven and a half minutes of it on video i got kicked in the head a few times in the pit so the phone's kind of like wobbling <laughs> you know so I got home at two o'clock in the morning and I had to post it on our YouTube channel. And the next day, management's calling me like, all right, I Googled to see how the show was. And the first thing that pops up is seven and a half minutes of Am I Evil on your YouTube channel. I'm like, yeah, you should have flew in. It was a great show. Oh, man. It, you know, those guys, you know, Brian and all those guys just they had a formula that really worked. And they weren't really the only ones, you know, there was a lot of bands that had their own formula, Saxon. They had their own formula and it worked. So did Iron Maiden, you know, and then you look at the doom bands like Candlemas, you know, and then you look at some of the early black metal bands like Venom, you know, it's all relevant. That's what it was. And it just evolved into something new. And in late eighties, the whole death metal scene just took off. And really, where did it start? Tampa, Morbid Angel, you know, and you want to stop and look at Derek and all the guys from Suffocation, you know, they're local guys from New York. You know, the whole death metal scene just got really big. And obviously Chuck, you know, from death and controlled and I, you know, so you don't really get much better than that. You definitely don't. And, you know, it's funny. I was never one of those fans who begrudged Metallica once they reached that stadium level of success in the 90s. Because I remember growing up, 
and first hearing my brother's cassettes of Ride the Lightning, Kill Em All, Master of Puppets, and, and Justice for All, and you knew they were on to something big. When they released Garage Inc., the double CD, in my freshman year of college, I was grateful to them for that because what they did was they opened up a whole different generation of metal fans to groups like Blue Oyster Cult, Diamond Head, Merciful Fate. I was grateful to them for doing that. At the same token, I was beyond stoked because a lot of the bands that you mentioned, especially Testament, Testament released my favorite album that they ever did, which was The Gathering in 99. Granted, it wasn't in the mainstream, but the quality was still there. I think if anything, these bands worked hard not just to keep their fan base, but grow a whole new one. Now it's like you can't go to a Testament show without somebody in the back yelling, DNR! Whatever they did worked for them. And I thought that was great. And, and you know, and, and you're right. I, I know I bust, you know, the chops of a lot of the late 90s new metal acts. The truth is, I just, I really didn't have anything against them. I was just really all about the bands that I grew up with and the ones that I felt spoke to me that weren't in that mainstream. It's something I've been saying for years. Just because it's not popular doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah, you know, I mean, with Testament, it's funny, you know, like, like you know, one of my friends is a huge fan of Demonic. You know, and Demonic's a great record, but The Legacy is still my favorite album, the first album, because I was playing the hell out of that in college radio. Over the Wall? Dude, the opening riff in Over the Wall is just, like, so stellar. I know. <laughs> they wrote, like, better songs over the years than that but to me it's just the sound of the album is very raw and that album's very unique you know as the band progressed you know and the same thing with overkill you know listen to the first record and then go back and listen to the new album like the killing machine or something i mean the band went right back to their old school roots and you're talking guys that are like pushing 60 if they're not 60 already and they're making some of the best records of their career, you know, and they're getting on stage and they're still bringing it on stage better than they brought it back in the day. I have the pleasure of saying that I did see Overkill on Gigantor 2006, and that was a great tour. That was Megadeth, Lamb of God, Opeth, Arch Enemy, Overkill, and Into Eternity. Overkill, well, no pun intended, they just killed it. And you're talking about Blitz, who is a cancer survivor, and he's still going on stage and killing it. You know, so's Chuck. Chuck Billy, too. Chuck Billy as well, yes. And I don't know if anybody really uh, follows the press, but Tom Hunting from Exodus, he just got tested and he's cancer free. So I know, it's such great news. Unfortunately, at the time that we're recording this, though, we just lost uh, Joey Jordison of uh, Slipknot and uh, Mike from Metal Church. So rest in peace to those guys. I'm happy that Chuck and Tom and Blitz beat their cancer. So hopefully this means 2021, 2022, more metal shows for us to enjoy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Listen, there's not a shortage of shows in the last couple of weeks, three, four weeks. We probably had about 20 tour announcements and amendments to the tours. You know, obviously, if you go to the new brand that we launched, Metal Contraband. That know, is my you... friend Chelsea. Chelsea mm -hmm. Nelson Fernandez. I love that girl. Yeah, man. We hired Chelsea right before we launched Contraband. And now she kind of oversees it for us. We kind of tried to fill in the void of the Hard Report, FMQB, Album Network, all those trades in their metal sections. And we were like, well, why isn't there a top 50 spin space chart? And why isn't there a section where you can find a metal editorial 
and upcoming ad dates and tour dates or a photo section with a collage of industry people and artists doing what they do, you know? So we kind of relaunch it. Now you don't need to do it in print. Online is a lot easier, a lot more cost effective. And we launched it actually September will be five years since the first issue was published. You know, that came along and that actually worked out really well. Or you can actually go to skateboardmarketing.com and go to the tour dates page and everything is there. There's about seven or eight pages of tour dates that are on there. Everything from Soulfly to Unleash the Archers all the way down. You know, the Dead Daisies just announced some new dates. There's a lot of stuff that's happening and it's finally everything's starting to get back to normal. Well, let's keep it on, on that upward trajectory because... Uh, Absolutely. Uh dying for some shows as i mentioned before i had the pleasure of getting to know you during my four years in college i do have to be honest i felt that you were one of the few who were promoting some of the best acts at the time in terms of current and legacy amongst other labels you service college radio stations with were spitfire who later later became eagle rock records pavement records and koch records so when you were marketing bands i i know it's from a business standpoint i'm not naive to that fact because everybody's got to eat but i could also tell that you've always had an emotional investment in a lot of the bands that you're promoting. How were you able to decide which bands you felt belonged as marketable for skateboard marketing? Well, I mean, obviously coming from a radio background and the same with you coming from a radio background, you just put yourself in a different set of shoes. You're like, well, if I was in radio, would I play this record? Well, okay, uh, I have stations that do play stuff like this. Can I get it played? Can I get it on? You know, you always have to stop and look at the other side of the coin too before you take something on whether or whether or not you really think you can get it played. You know, and if you can't get results, I just find it a lot easier to just tell the band and the label, like, hey, the, the record's really good, but I'm not going to get you any love. So it doesn't make sense, you know, to have somebody write your check and get no results. You know, it's kind of pointless. On the other hand, sometimes you don't have that pleasure. The band's signed and you have to take the record because the label says, no, we have to do this. And then you just have to sit down and come up with a unique, creative way to, you know, to get around everything and say, well, I think this will work and let's try this. And a lot of it's just a shot in the dark, you see. So, you know, you go in and you just give it your best shot to see how you can make something happen. But on the same token, it's like, you know, a, a lot of our roster are established bands. And then there's also a big part of our roster that aren't established bands. You know, so if you're going to stop and look at what we got right now, we got At The Gates, you know, and At The Gates is huge. We went number one this week. You know, we also have the Motorhead, the reissues on BMG. We have the Iron Maiden single in the Halloween, you know, and the D Snyder. So they're all there. But then we get some of your death metal bands, you know. We have the Ingested record, you know, on Unique Leader out of the UK, you know. And I mean, some pretty brutal death metal, but they do really, really well. At, at radio because stations just dig what they do you know it's unique you know you just have to stop and look at what the band is what the band is doing and fit, see really if you can actually get it played or not if you can then go in and do the best job that you can with it i mean you really look at it from the artist standpoint you know the band wants to shine they spent a lot of time and effort writing a good record they went in the studio the label spent a lot of money in you know studio fees and mastering and production to get that record out there and you know when somebody puts that much work into something you know i think it ought to be heard 
You know, they have a, they, they have a right to be heard, whether it's going to happen or not. It's a different story. Well, I can tell it definitely leads in results because I see the wall of gold and platinum records that you have right behind you. Oh, yeah. What are some of those? Uh, well, the first plaque I ever got was L.A. Guns, cocked and loaded as a label guy for Polygram. That's up there. I have Metallica. I got Load and Reload. Uh, I have St. Angers in the other room. Uh, I, got, <laughs> I got a couple of the, a couple of the TSO plaques and Marilyn Manson and Pantera. I got uh, the AFI records up there. So, you know, we got some uh, we got some good stuff. That's a pretty eclectic mix. Oh, uh, listen, you remember back in the 90s, a lot of the alternative bands crossed over. Yes, you know? this is a fact. You know, yeah. Mother Love Bone, Soundgarden, Mud Honey, all those bands crossed over and did really well. You know, and especially a lot of the pop punk stuff that was on Epitaph. Epitaph yeah, I couldn't believe it when I was serviced uh, with from Epitaph and they gave me uh, the Pennywise album straight ahead. I was not complaining. I loved Pennywise as a well, kid who grew up trying to skate. It was definitely a good soundtrack to my youth. <laughs> you look at Bad Religion, the Grey Race. I mean, Grey did really well at Metal Radio. They signed with Atlantic for that one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some of those bands just cross over because, you know, if you look at the time, there was a good eclectic mix of different stuff that was out there and you still even have the same thing nowadays too you can still cross over because you know if you look at bands like august burns red or slaughter to prevail and under oath you know even though under oath isn't really a new band they've been around 20 years you know yep solid but, state you know, records so 2001 i remember we were getting service yeah. with them their style is very different than a lot of the other metal bands that are out there you know so there's a lot of stuff where it just goes in a circle and it depends on what the PD at the station that's doing or the programmer of the show is doing. Yep. I hear what you're saying. So as I mentioned, you're one of the hardest working people I know in the industry. And I can remember meeting you in person at house shows on Queens Boulevard for Extreme Championship Wrestling. This was at the Elks Lodge. And I remember you were promoting skateboard stuff because that was a big bevy of fans of wrestling and metal and hard rock You're talking about the old ecw stuff yes i am <laughs> oh yeah the elks club in elmhurst queens that's when we first met and you were like hey nice amorphous t-shirt <laughs> that's where we first met in person and i just saw how hard you were working then having fun at the same time but still working hard. 2015 i saw you at mayhem festival at jones beach the next year i was working at nbc and I ran into you at the NBC building, which is the same building that Sirius was. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here you are talking with Jamie Josta from Hatebreed. And then we were talking for five minutes. There you were going up to the Sirius radio station, the satellite radio station. You just don't stop. It shows me that you still love what you do, you know? Absolutely. And as I mentioned, and this is not to be a downer, but, you know, especially with the last 16 months where there were no concerts, there was, you know not as much emphasis being put on new forms of art that was being put out there because here we were trying to, we were just trying to survive with the current times. What is the motivation that just makes you keep doing this? I love the gig. I love the bands. I love the music. I get up every morning and I, I kind of have a routine. I have to get up. I have to shower, shave, get dressed, get my coffee in me, you know, eat like a piece of fruit and take some vitamins. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Let's go make some shit happen. And I just live to get up and come into this office and do the gig. I love it. And I haven't gotten tired of doing this gig. And I'm kind of saying, well, 
let's see, I've been industry about 35, 36 years, and I'm doing radio promo 32, 33 years now. You know, looking at the big picture on this, I don't get tired of it. I just love it. There's always going to be something that just drives you nuts and makes you crazy. But that's all right. It's fine because... That's such a small amount of stuff that makes you crazy. 99% of the rest of the stuff is amazing. So I, I just don't get tired of it. So I just love what I do. If I can get up and live the dream for another 30 years, I'll just keep going. I won't stop. I wish that for you, my friend. In the past, you've worked with the Scorpions. You've worked with Crowbar. You've worked with countless artists. You know, we mentioned them earlier, but this is where I was going to ask you about them. You also worked with who I consider the greatest rock star that ever lived. Mr. Lemmy Kilmeister and the voice of metal, all due respect to Rob Halford, but Ronnie James Dio, because he sang, in my opinion, the greatest song ever written, Stargazer. So, you know, I, I give him all the credit. So I'd like to ask, what was your friendship with both Ronnie and Lemmy like? Because I, I do know that you knew them on a personal basis as well. I met Ronnie in 1986 when I was a freshman in college at uh, the CMJ convention. He was there with Wendy. Ronnie was the keynote speaker. You know, and I went over and I introduced myself and I, I told him I worked for CMJ and I was from WQCC. I'd love to do an interview. Wendy gave me her card. I called Wendy and about a month later, I had interviewed Ronnie for the station. Three years later, when I went to work for Polygram Records, Ronnie was signed to Phonogram UK and Warner Brothers for the US. So technically, he was kind of on the label for the world outside the US. You know, so I kind of like built a relationship with him. And when I started my own company and then they brought us in to kind of do radio for everything. So right after Lock Up the Wolves, everything all the way up, you know, that that came out, we handled. So I got to know Ronnie very, very well. And he was kind of family to us. You know, when I was in LA, he'd invite me to his house, you know, and we'd sit in the house and we'd drink wine and stuff. And it was cool. You know, and with Lemmy, it was almost the same thing. You know, in 93, management had called us and hired us to do the Bastards record. And we did radio for it in the US. I had met Lemmy before at Lemoore's and, you know, mul multiple times. You know, he's a good dude. And, uh, you know, I kind of got to know him, you know, through this aspect of, well, yeah, that's our radio guy who our management company hires. And me and Lem actually became really good friends. You know, and he, he was a very unique character. You know, you just you kind of had to know Lemmy and you had to know him personally and like how he just kind of thought and his perspective views on stuff. And I mean, I'll never forget picking up the phone to tell him, dude, we finally got a number one record for Motorhead in America, because at that time, Motorhead had never had a number one record. Even 1916 on Epic Records didn't go number one. And we got the band's first number one record. And, and he's like, oh, hey, bastards. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> and, ah. and I just kind of thought it was funny, but knowing Lem, I get the sense of humor behind it. It was funny. He's like, because he would always say, yeah, metal gets no respect. Motorhead will never get any respect. But, you know, if you really look at the big picture, the fans and the industry ultimately totally respect Motorhead because it's an institution. It's not so much that they were a great band, but I just see like 20 years from now or 100 years from now, it's going to be like urban legend folklore, like, well, not folklore, but like urban legend going on where, oh, yeah, that was that really cool metal band from 100 years ago. Those guys were cool. And you're still going to see fans walking around with Motorhead shirts, you know? So 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you look at the big picture on that, you know, I mean, both of them are like, dude, they were both like the nicest guys. And they were like a pleasure to be around. They knew how to talk to people. They knew how to treat people. And they were just really gentle and kind human beings overall. I had the pleasure of meeting Ronnie once. It was 2007. Ronnie had announced that him, Tony Iommi, Vinny Apice, and uh, Geezer Butler were reuniting as Black Sabbath, but under the moniker of Heaven and Hell because Ozzy and Tony were the 50-50 co-owners of the name Black Sabbath, so they had to go forth as Heaven and Hell. Still Sabbath to me. My roommate and I, we purchased third row center stage radio city music hall it was one of the greatest concerts that i ever seen like i gave ronnie the horns and he pointed his horns right at me so i admit i had a total fanboy moment there so that was a friday that tuesday they did an indoor signing at best buy we were like the third and fourth guys online to get our stuff signed so i bought three copies of the album Myself and one for each of my brothers, because if it wasn't for them, I would have never have discovered Black Sabbath. I got to meet my guitar hero, Tony Iommi, and I got to meet, you know, all the bandmates. Geezer was drunk, but <laughs> that's to be expected. Um, still a gentleman. And Ronnie just took like five minutes, you know, more than he should have just to talk with me. I'm like, Ronnie, I got to go. You got a line of people. He's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, he was the, the, <coughs> the nicest rock star that I ever had the pleasure of meeting. He was just such a gentleman. He was like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Astoria, Queens. He's like, oh, are you Greek? And I'm like, how'd you know? He's like, all the Greeks are from Astoria. You know, he's just, he, he was very witty. I was always grateful to him for that, you know? And, and again, loved his music, loved his stuff with Rainbow, loved his stuff with Sabbath, Dio, you know? I mean, rest in peace, Ronnie and Lemmy, you know, the ultimate badass of rock and roll. Never had the pleasure of meeting him. But I had the honor of seeing Motorhead live on three different occasions. 99 at Irving Plaza, 2002 at The World. I missed them opening for Dio and Iron Maiden at The Garden the following year. And then I saw the Metal Masters Tour, which was Judas Priest, Heaven and Hell, Motorhead and Testament. I was like, I've died and gone to heaven. And to this day, there will be no band louder live on stage than motorhead you have to remember you know like one thing that comes along with doing a gig for a long time is experience and one of the things you really learn that like that seasons you is how to talk to people and how to treat people and that's why you notice a lot of those old heritage bands are still around because they know how to talk and treat and and how to treat people you know and that's kind of really important because you know you listen Let's face the fact, you know, if you want to be an asshole or just like, let's do stupid rock star stuff like they did in the 80s, you know, it's not going to get you very far because it's going to get to a point where, you know, publicity is going to call writers and say, well, I have such and such available. Like, no, nah, I'll pass. And we're going to call somebody for a radio interview and be like, nah, I'll pass. He did this last time he was here. It wasn't cool, you know? You know, so a lot of those guys just, you know, they, they, they were just gentlemen all, all around gentlemen and scholars, you know, they were just nice guys. So they were a pleasure to work with. And, and that's the beauty of when you get to work with like seasoned pros, that's what you deal with. You deal with people that just know the gig and everything's great. You know, and, and then once you kind of distinguish the difference between business and just people that are being friends, you know, it's totally cool. There's just nothing that can make me get tired of this gig. I don't care. 
whatever it is, I just don't get tired of it. That is awesome. One of the bands that you're promoting now has made their way to, again, as I mentioned before, not just opening up for the maestro himself, Fingve Johan Malmstein, for three dates in Texas, but now they got the entire fall tour with him and John Five. And that band, Images of Eden, I had the honor of having Gordon and Steve on the show. Again, gentlemen, everything that they were doing, I'm a huge fan and supporter of. This has got to be a benchmark for you. I know at one point you worked Invader Radio as well, and now Images of Eden has taken off. Please talk about your friendship with Gordon and Steve, because I definitely want to build momentum for them to have a good tour with uh Yngwie and john five well you know pavement hired us on the last album and we did really well with it and then uh they hired us again for the new album and we did super well with it you know i mean it's it's a new band so you know new bands take a lot of development you know sometimes you can just service something like if you remember like a band like kilgore smudge we serviced that and within like three months it just blew up and the same thing happened with Nothing Face. We serviced it. And within a year, the whole band just blew up. Of all the bands that came out in the late 90s, mid to late 90s that were new, that was one of my favorites. Dude, there was, Nothing Face was amazing. And then you have other bands and they're great bands, but they need a little nurturement. Images is a great band. They have a great sound. Their records are good. I think now, now the point of them getting out in front of 800 to 1,000 people a night is going to mean a lot for the band because that's how you build your fan base and your audience. A lot of people are going to at least get to see them live, see what they're all about. And by the time this tour is over, they're going to make a lot of new fans. And I remember doing a couple of days of radio interviews with the guys and they were like, these were great. Any more that you have, send it to us. We'll, we'll take the day off of work, you know, just so that we can do them. And I mean, the guys are hungry. They want to work. And that's the beauty when you get a band that's willing to do that, you're really not going to run into too many issues unless you have like a record that's a crumb. And in their case, their record is really good. I just think it's an, it's an issue of like more fans need to see it. And how do you break a band? By touring. And if you look at like a band who their debut record went on the road for a year and a half and didn't stop, and that was Seven Dust. And all of them are the nicest guys. Another one of my favorite bands from that era. Yeah, they're down to earth. They're humble. They're really cool. They're faithful to their staff. Their staff is faithful to them. And dude, they went out on the road for a year and a half until finally they get home and they're home for a couple of weeks. They record another record and they're like, okay, let's go back out on the road again. And they went back out on the road again. By then, the band was already established. And dude, a few years back, we finally got a plaque for the first record. And I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, dude. Went gold. 500,000. Oh, that's awesome. We finally got a plot for it, and I was just so happy, you know? So that's how I hung it up in my living room, you know, next to the Black Sabbath and the Kiss Black and a few of the other ones that I got, you know? And I'm like, all right, this has to go here so when I sit on the couch, I can look at it, you know? That is an amazing story. I mean, I, I remember one of the happiest days that I had in college radio. TVT Records had Lejean call up WSJU, and he cut a station ID. And at the time, I think they were actually opening up for Creed in arenas of all bands. That was just amazing. That is a band that I I, I do need to see. So I need to add them to my bucket list because I never had the chance to see them in concert. And I definitely want to. I mean, Creed is great live. I've I've seen Creed before a few times. Oh, I meant Seven Dust. (laughs) 
right, right, right. Seven dust. But I love Mark Tremonti. I love what he does with his band and Alter Bridge. Great stuff. Yeah, I mean, Creed, I've seen Creed multiple times, three, four times. You know, I saw Scott Sapp, you know. And I mean, dude, they're all, again, they're just all around the nicest guys. Even the Alter Bridge guys, they're like the nicest guys. And then that's a good thing, you know, when you get to work with a band, that's just cool. You know, it makes the job a lot easier, a lot less stressful, you know? Yeah, I I appreciate it when a band doesn't come with its pretensions because, you know, in, in the end, you know, and I admit I was guilty of this growing up. You know, I had the fanboy, you know, type of mentality because I didn't know any better. I was also like, you know, 17. I was young and immature, you know, and it got to a point where I was just like, you know what? They're just normal people. This is what they do to pay their bills. Just be cool to them and they'll reciprocate, you know, and, you know, you learn that there's a lot more cool people in the music industry than there are that aren't. And, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, something my dad told me about, you know, show respect first, you get it back. And if you don't get it back, walk away, be the better person. And, you know, everyone that I've had the distinct pleasure of interviewing, on the Music is Life podcast has been nothing but cool. And, you know, we've had people in the metal world. We've had people in hip hop. We've had people in reggae. You know, we even had non-musicians on the show. My whole thing is I'm a fan of what they do. And all I want to do is just bring them to a platform where it's like, you know, maybe others who are influenced or who are looking to be influenced can, you know, use this platform as a lead in for something that they want to do. You know, maybe there could be someone who watches this, sees what you do and goes, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to push bands I love because I, I, I have to admit one of the reasons why I started this podcast was thanks to you because I saw the passion that you had for what you do and it influenced me in a positive way. So, you know what? I'm glad I have you on the podcast to say thank you, Munzee. Uh, Lou, thanks for playing all my records back when you were at SJU, especially those couple that I sent you that were kind of crummy. You know, I don't remember any. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, but just, you know, I'm just thanks for all the support, dude, because it was awesome. Not a problem. In all your years of doing this up until this point, and I know you got 30 more years in you, but what would you say? What, would you, what do you feel is your greatest accomplishment? I'm going to say just sticking to my guns and keep doing what I believed in. You know, when I when I was young and I first got you know, I first heard got turned on to metal, I said, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. So I figured at some point, either I was going to be a radio programmer or I was going to be a writer, a photojournalist and a writer, or I was going to work for a record company or in a recording studio. I was going to do something. It just depended on, you know, where my niche was. And I kind of found my niche in promotion. You know, and I and I'm a firm believer in you find something that you can do and that's what you do well, keep doing it and don't stop. Because the minute you stop, well, then stuff stops happening. Yeah, I talk a lot, but I mean I'm a promo guy. You know, that's what we do. You know, yeah, I don't mind being on the phones, and that's what a promo guy does. You're on the phones all day. You know, you find your niche and that's where you stay. So it just turned out that radio promo was what I did best out of everything. And I'm still here. So I guess that's a good thing, you know? It is a good thing. Hey, I'm glad that, you know, I'm here talking with you and we're talking about you and skateboard marketing. And, you know, it's uh, it's a testament to uh, all the work that you've done. A couple more questions. I know you mentioned that you had 
a Kiss plaque, uh, Platinum Record, up in your wall. And I do love Kiss. I remember 1993 was when I bought my first Kiss CD. And it wasn't Revenge because that was the amount of time. It was Destroyer. Because, again, my older, my older brother, Anthony, was the one who got me into the music that I got growing up. Except, you know, he never talked about Kiss because he never forgave them for Dynasty <laughs> when they went disco. But, wow. uh, you know, he did tell me, you need Destroyer. And, you know, Detroit Rock City was the first song I heard from them. Had that on repeat for a week before I moved on to King of the Nighttime World. Now, you know, although I'm not crazy about what Kiss is doing now with, you know, Eric Singer and the Catman makeup and Tommy Thayer and the Spaceman makeup, you know, just because I'm not a fan of what they're doing now doesn't mean I'm not a fan of what they've done. You know, I'll always love and respect them for what they've done. But there is the one pet peeve I have, and that's something Gene Simmons, whom, again, is a guy that I respect because of what he's accomplished, He's constantly repeating in the media, wherever he goes, that rock is dead. I've asked this question to a past guest, and it seems to be one that resonates with people. And I'm going to ask you, and you can tell me, Lou, shut the fuck up. It's all good. I won't be upset at you. After 30 years of doing what you do, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Is rock dead? Fuck no. That's exactly the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, listen, everybody kind of, you know, views and interprets the format and stuff, you know, in their own version, you know. So I'll never speak on behalf of Gene. I, I mean, I know Gene personally, and he and he's actually a really good guy. In his opinion, I don't I don't know what he's like, kind of referring to that. But you know, coming from my thrasher self, metal hasn't missed a beat, and it hasn't stopped, and it goes up and down. And right now, the roller coaster went up like way back, and it's still up there. You know, at some point, it's going to go down again, and then a few years later, it's going to go back up again. It's never going to go away. It's here forever. It's just if you stop and you look at it, the bands changed. The music and the scene changed. The fans changed. You know, there's a different mindset amongst a lot of new, of a lot of the newer fans. So people view and interpret things different depending on how you look at it. But in my opinion, this format ain't going anywhere. This format's here to stay. And it's been here since the 60s. Okay. You know, and it goes all the way back to, you know, if you want to stop and look at bands like Jimi Hendrix, you know, he was kind of the metal artist of the day. And so was a band called Blue Cheer. I had the pleasure of working with them. Their label had called and said, Do you, are you familiar with the band? I says, yeah, actually I am. That's that old, the old 60s band. I said, they're not really metal. They're, they're a rock band and they got a little crunchy, but they're not really metal. And they hired us to work a record for them. And ironically, when it, when I, got it out at the format, a lot of stations knew who they were, especially like 20, 21 year old freshmen and juniors in college. They were like, oh, I heard about this band. I read about this band. And that's half the battle right there. You know, and then, you know, you get in the 70s and what did you have? Judas Priest. You don't get any better than that. What else did you get in the 70s besides Hawkwind? And then getting into the 80s, you had Diamond Head and Motorhead and Iron Maiden and Saxon. The bands evolve into what they evolve into. And the old heritage artists stick to what they do best. 
And that's why they're still around. But yeah, our fan base is getting older. You know, go, dude, go to a Judas Priest show. Half the audience is under 23 years old. And I don't want to hear, oh, yeah, those are their kids. No, those aren't their kids. Those are fans of Judas Priest that love Judas Priest. That's what that is. I was 24 when I first saw Judas Priest in concert. That was at OzFest 2004. Oh, wow. Uh, I actually brought the girl who would become the mo uh, the mother of my daughter, a.k.a. my wife, with me to that concert. Because uh, the deal was I took her to go see Jason Mraz. And she said, all right, now I'll go see a concert you want. And I said, OzFest. Because this was the one at Jones Beach in 2004. And she said, okay. I said, you're going to regret this. And let me tell you, she became a Judas Priest fan that night. And that was the time when Halford had just came back to the band. And I was like, my God, like th they did not disappoint. And yes, I've seen Priest on many occasions since that first time. And I'll tell you, their old audience is growing with them. And a new audience is growing up with them, too. And it definitely proves your point right. Yeah, I, I mean, it really depends. And I mean, if you want to stop and look at like other formats, like the rap core thing. Yeah, it happened. But, you know, if you stop and you look at you know newer bands coming in now, you're still seeing it. But there's still some stuff that's out there. And eventually that's going to circle back and you're going to get one band to do something and they're going to do it better than everybody else. And it's going to blow up and it's going to relaunch the whole format again. And then the, the roller coaster will go down. It doesn't mean it went away. It just means the roller coaster went down and it's going to take another band to come along and do it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You could say that about progressive metal, you know, like yep. in the 90s, Dream Theater was all the rage. And then in the last decade, you had bands like Periphery and Animals as Leaders who was doing what Dream Theater was doing, but taking it on a whole different level and making kids out there want to buy, you know, eight string Jackson guitars and, you know, get Axe effects, you know, uh, amplifiers and things like that. So you're, you're right. I mean, things come in waves and when they do come back, the fandom grows bigger. They're hungry for more stuff, especially if they're musicians and they want to get started in this industry and they want to do, you know, things comparable to a dream theater or periphery. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. And I think it's even awesome when even when record sales aren't as much as they used to be. And again, that's just because of the advent of, you know, streaming and finding stuff available for consumption on, you know, channels like YouTube and things like that. But, you know, I see more kids today wearing merchandise. I see more artists getting endorsements and getting their names on on products i mean you know i never would have thought there'd be an ingve Malmsteen overdrive pedal released by fender but there is you know so it's great to see that although sales aren't what they used to be it's good to see that bands out there are still thriving by finding other ways to keep going and keep releasing new quality music absolutely if people want to find out more about you munzi and about skateboard marketing uh, where can the good people find out, you know, I what mean, they need to know? Go, we, we have so I have no personal pages on socials, just company. But, you know, obviously Twitter is Skateboard MKT and Instagram is Skateboard Marketing and Facebook is Skateboard Marketing. And 
LinkedIn is skateboard marketing. And we also have uh, a Pinterest page, which I do post on once in a while. And that's obviously skateboard marketing and Tumblr. So you can find that as well as metal contraband, you know, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you know, so if you want to go in and just follow the news feed and find out, you know, press, see the press releases for, you know, everything that will work and in tour dates and everything that's coming, you know, it's, um, it's a good thing if you want to follow and yeah, I do follow back and, uh, I do like go back and I look at like a lot of the fans when they post and they do stuff and I do like a lot of their stuff, you know, people like our stuff, you know, all right, I'm sitting on the couch watching the debauchery on the news. I pay no attention to it and I just surf on my phone <laughs> <laughs> and I'll That's go and I'll like stuff, you know, because it's something better, you know? Yeah. I He's really watch family guy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I still talk to Dustin. You know, Dustin Goldfarb. Yeah, still. Talk oh my to god! <laughs> you know, I still talk to Jillian, and uh, I still talk to Melinda and everybody else that was here. You know, from time to time. You know, and like actually, I just got together with Peluso about a month or two ago. We I went by his house and we barbecued in the backyard. We nice. ate skirt steaks, we drank beer, and we smoked cigars. It was great. Ah, La Dolce Vita. Good stuff. I remember yeah. Dustin when he worked at Koch. He actually, it was um, it was at McGaffey Fest 99. And he told me, hey, I'm ser we're servicing the Scorpions record. Uh, it was eye to eye at the time. And I'm like, oh, you're working it? He's like, yeah, me and Munzi are working it. I'm like, great. I love the Scorpions, but that was not one of their better <laughs> albums. I'm sorry. I, I do love the Scorpions, though. And you did get me to go see them with my friend Marina. We got to see them and Motley Crue at Jones Beach. Great show. You got us backstage. And, you know, that was like my first time seeing Jones Beach from, you know, the backstage area. And, and that was great. Monzi, you're the reason why my late teens, early 20s did not suck. Thank you. <laughs> All I can say about the Scorpions is that band can do no wrong in my book. They are just such a great band. And they're like, Probably one of the greatest live rock and roll bands, you know. I can't pick a top 10 or a top 5. You know, for me to have to pick, like, the greatest live band, it would probably have to be a top 250. Because there's just so many that are just so good live. And you've seen that you know? many. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that they got Mickey D in the band right now, you oh, know. Yeah. I mean, to go from Motorhead to Scorpions, you know, hey. Couldn't think of a drummer who's uh, more deserving of that gig, you know? I mean, he's... Uh, a great drummer. Great yes. drummer. I saw him when he was playing with King Diamond at Lemoore's. If you, I wouldn't have been surprised if you said King Diamond or Don Dockin, because I know he was on the Up for the Ashes CD, too. Yeah, and, I, saw, uh, I first saw him with uh, King Diamond, and then he got the Motorhead gig shortly after, and then I got to know him when we started working with Motorhead, and I love Mickey. He's awesome. You know, like the few years I went over to the UK to see Motorhead in London, you know, of course, where where will you find me, Mickey, or Phil somewhere at a pub with a drink in our hand? It was great. I have to thank Lemmy for my love for uh, Jack and Cokes. So, <laughs> but uh, I had to stop drinking them because I ended up becoming type two diabetic last year, but I reversed it. I did reverse it. So I'm not back to drinking Jack and Coke, but I am back to drinking uh, whiskey. So now well, I got the Coke. So not that I believe in any corporate sponsorships, but this is what I drink right now. Zevia. <laughs> the man, Munzi Ritchie, the company, Skateboard Marketing, 30 years of disrupting 
the mainstream and just bringing the best in hard rock and metal to radio stations everywhere. My friend, I can't thank you enough for being on the show tonight. Thank you. I wish you nothing but more continued success for the future. Well, thanks for having me on, dude. And I and I guess maybe Thursday when I see you at uh at the Holy Mother D Snyder show, we'll uh, we'll sit down, we'll have a drink and we'll enjoy ourselves a little bit. I will drink a Jack and Coke with you. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'm buying. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. You get first round, I'll get second. Don't worry. Okay. Beautiful. Awesome. To find out more about the Music is Life podcast, check out musicislifepodcast.com. Also, do not forget to check out our parent network, Ratsai Review, over at ratsireview.com. Check out some of our other shows, including Screams for the Grave, where we talk about metal albums from history's past that people have forgotten. The last episode that we just did was Flick of the Switch by ACDC, and we got On Through the Night from Def Leppard coming up soon, so that's another one. All of that you can check out over at ratsireview.com and musicislifepodcast.com. Once again, Munzee, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. You got it, Lou. Thanks for having me on. I'll see you on Thursday, bro. And remember, all art is valid. Have a good night. listening to the music aside podcast brought to you by anchor.fm and ratsaw review check out the other shows on ratsaw review including beyond bushido old man metals musings the right opinion the viera vault the timo toki podcast the bs sessions with mark and jerry just the cheese please and the friday night party with the great harry barnett and evie graphics by rocky baia for commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Mavs at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>